Welcome to the Grave Plot Podcast. Hello, and welcome again to the Grave Plot Podcast. I'm Skeletoni. And I am Taylor of Terror. And Happy New Year to y'all. Uh, how was your Happy New Year? Uh, it was, it was alright. We, uh, we went and got pie. Mm-hmm. And then we were going to watch the fireworks at the Space Needle, but the fog rolled in, and we had to hide from the pirates. Right. Uh, well, we went to a party. Didn't get as drunk as I would have liked, but I'm sure uh, my fiancé appreciated that. Anyway, uh, so, holy shit, guys, we have an awesome show ahead for you. Um, aside from, you know, our usual news, and uh, we're going to do a couple movie reviews. We're going to review um, Chris and Chucky and You're Next. But on top of that, we have an awesome interview that we did with the director of Contracted, Eric England. We, we reviewed Contracted back in episode five. So, you know, if, if you want to go back and check that out, definitely do so. Uh, and definitely give the movie a watch. Yeah, it was great flick. Um, got some, um, I don't know, some kind of mixed reviews, I guess, but we liked it. So shit. I mean, if you're listening to the show, you obviously agree with us to a certain extent. So, um, some people just don't like Andes. That's true. That's true. Um, so anyway, uh, let's get started. Jump into some news. Reports, incredible as they seem, are not the results of mass hysteria. First eyewitness accounts of this grisly development came from people who were understandably frightened and almost incoherent. Officials and newsmen at first discounted those eyewitness descriptions as being beyond belief. However, the reports persisted. Medical examinations of some of the victims bore out the fact that they had been partially devoured. All right, start off with, um, we've got, you guys might be familiar with that Harry Potter movie, Woman in Black. <laughs> I think most people are familiar with the Harry Potter movie, yeah. <laughs> Harry Potter and the Woman in Black. <laughs> well, um, this is actually kind of older news, but, you know, it's first we're heard of it, so fuck you. Uh, apparently it got uh, greenlighted uh, for a sequel. It's going to be called The Woman in Black, Angel of Death. It's going to be directed by Tom Harper, um, who... The only thing I could recognize from his credits was uh, he directed a handful of episodes of The Misfits, which is actually a, um, a UK show, but it's an awesome show. I highly recommend it. Uh, it's about some uh, some teenage delinquents that get superpowers, but they're not really useful superpowers. So it's just, it's, it's it's kind of a comedy drama type thing, but it's it's a really great show. You know, he's gonna be directing. Um, you got Jeremy Irvine, uh, Irvine, Irvine. Uh, who you might recognize from, uh, he was the lead in War Horse. I never saw it, but I know he's from there. Uh, he's gonna play the lead role. So does that mean Harry Potter isn't in it? Well, I actually read that there, he might, he might have, uh, like a, a guest spot. Like he might re, redo his role again, but very briefly. I see. I never saw the first one, so does this, Jeremy Irvine is not playing his character? No, it, and this, that one actually took place in, um, oh, I think it was like the teens, the 19, 19- Teens. Okay. Um, and uh, this one actually takes place during World War II. World War II um, and kind of the, the plot of the movie is uh, the the house from The Woman in Black, the first movie, the Eel Marsh house, was actually converted during World War II into a ment- uh, military mental hospital. The, disturb- the, the arrival of the disturbed soldiers uh, has awoken the house's darkest inhabitant. Who you have to assume is the woman in black. Oh, I said it. <laughs> um, 
and uh, Eve, a beautiful young nurse, is sent to the house to care for the patients, but soon realizes she must save them from more than their own demons. Despite Eve's efforts to stop her, one by one they fall victim to the woman in black. Oh, I said it again. Oh. Um, and I guess the the more current news, uh, like I said, this this old news, I mean, this has been in the works for over a year now. Um, the more current news is that Hammer, uh, you might know Hammer from the, the old 70s and 80s movies, um, the CEO, Simon Oaks, uh, he has basically implied that there is going to be more than one sequel. And he's actually trying to turn it into a franchise. He's, he actually says, uh, if you're second successful, then you're third. Then you've got a franchise. Uh, I don't, I don't, I just don't believe the notion that you can press a button and create a franchise. But, I mean, I'm definitely planning a three and four. I like how he basically says, I don't believe in the notion that you can create a franchise, but I'm creating a franchise. Right. <laughs> He's like, did it. <laughs> I don't no. believe you can do it, but me, I can do it. <laughs> I'm doing it right now. <laughs> see you making franchises? <laughs> um, so you said you didn't see The Woman in Black. I saw it. I didn't like it. I thought it was boring as hell. I mean, I'm not a Harry Potter fan, so um, the fact that Daniel Radcliffe was in it. That's his name. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, the fact that he was in it actually did nothing for me. Uh, my fiance, on the other hand, she seemed to enjoy it. Whether or not that was because Daniel Radcliffe was in it, because she's a huge Harry Potter fan, I, I don't know. I, I won't speculate because she'll listen to this and hate me. Um, Love you. <laughs> um, so I, I know a lot of people did enjoy Women in Black, and by the way, the, the Women in Black was actually sorry a, a remake of an old, I believe it was from the seventies. And it, I believe it was actually originally a book as well. I'm not positive on that, but as I said, the the movie really didn't do a whole lot for me. But I know it was pretty popular amongst a lot of people. Um, so if you dug it, you might want to keep an eye on this. Um, I didn't see anything about a release date. Uh, I may need to investigate closer on that. But uh, if you uh, if you like the original, I suggest you keep your ear to the ground and. Um, and check in on this. Okay, next up, uh, Recently we talked about Kevin Smith. You know, you, you guys would know from uh, Clerks, um, Mallrats, Dogma. Yeah, basically anything with Jane Silent Bob in it. Um, well, we talked about him planning a movie called Tusk, which was based on a like an internet ad that they had seen where some crazy guy wanted somebody to dress up in a walrus suit so he could feed them fish. Right. And so he's developing a movie on that, and that's actually a go. They're currently working on it, if I'm not mistaken. I believe they're either currently filming or they may have wrapped by now. I'm not sure. Okay. Well, they're at least doing one of the two. Um, and so uh, f- beyond that, he's recently come out. He has a new idea for a movie. Uh, it's going to be called uh, Helena Helena Handbasket. That's like the name, that H-E-L-E-N-A, Handbasket. Um, Which sounds like a drag queen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, basically, the concept of the movie is that mankind, like, you know, the, the human race, teams up with the forces of hell against a giant rapturing Jesus. 
Where the fuck does he come up with this? Apparently, well, I, actually, I don't know specifically. He actually said that this is another idea that came from one of his smodcasts. This shows. is this reeks of Walt Flanagan. Uh, probably. That's totally something Walt Flanagan would come up with. <laughs> yeah. um, so it's fucking ridiculous. I mean, you know that anybody with any kind of religious affiliation is going to fucking hate this. Oh, they're not going to touch it. No. Um, and he actually accepts that. Yeah, he actually knows that nobody's going to want to make it. Anybody that actually does volunteer to make it, the budget is going to be razor thin. Um, and he, he's basically already accepted that this will probably never get beyond a script. But just the concept alone sounds fucking ridiculous. Just the idea of this, like, Godzilla-sized Jesus. Yeah. Just, like, stomping <laughs> cities. and <laughs> I even picture him, like, blowing fire out of his mouth. <laughs> But of course, since it's the Kevin Smith movie, in my head, it's Buddy Christ. Yeah, <laughs> probably. <laughs> There's that shitty grin on his face the entire time. <laughs> Just winking. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, like I said, I mean, this is kind of, uh, it's sort of news, <laughs> but, um, Tusk is, like we said, is actually happening. I mean, they're, they're either currently filming or they've already finished filming. So, I mean, that might, that, that's something you can actually, Keep an eye on. Next up, we got uh, the sequel to Dead Snow, which was anybody that saw it, saw it remembers that it's a, it's a zombie Nazi movie. Is it? Is it Swiss? Uh, Norwegian, I believe. Okay. Um, basically, these kids go up to a mountain cabin, uh, first, you know, they're skiing, and I don't remember exactly what prompts it. I think... They some unearthed some kind of chest or something, if I remember correctly. With, like, gold in it or something. Something, like. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so they basically unearthed that, and so that prompts these dead Nazis kind of buried in the snow for... Ugh, don't say dead Nazi. That just makes me think of doing shots. <laughs> well, um, the last, you know... Jägermeister and Rumpelmints. It's a dead Nazi. Don't try it. That's, you're combining two disgusting boozes. Why would you do that? It's It tastes like candy, but like peppermint licorice, which is... <laughs> ugh. Don't, don't do it. Disgusting. Anyway. So, yeah, they unearthed this gold. Uh, and this prompts these Nazis to come back to life uh, as zombies, and they begin just kind of offing the, the kids one by one. Well, news is we've got a sequel coming out. Some of you may have already heard about this. It's uh, The news has been around for a little while, but um, Dead Snow Red vs. Dead is actually premiering at Sundance, which... It's kind of shocking because that just doesn't seem like a Sundance movie. Yeah, more like a slam dance movie. Slam dance? It's like a horror festival. Well, well, alright. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, when you think Sundance, you think like a lot of like just boring, artsy movies, but. Right. Something that Robert Redford would like. <laughs> or like, um, Medieval. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's a little entourage reference for you guys. Um, so I guess the basic premise of this movie is the gruesome Nazis are back to finish their mission, but our hero is not willing to die. 
He's gathering his own army to give them a final fight. And all we've seen so far is like a teaser trailer. It doesn't reveal a whole lot, but it looks like the one survivor from the original film, uh, Martin, he wakes up in a hospital and the doctor's standing over him and says, hey, you know, all your, you, you're your own, only survivor without all your friends. Um, uh, we saw that your arm was severed. Because anybody that saw the first movie knew that he sawed his own arm off with a chainsaw. Mm -hmm. And he basically says it wasn't severed. <laughs> um, and, uh, and he says, and we found you in your car, but luckily we were able, able to reattach your arm. Um, anybody that saw it knew that his arm was actually left up on the mountain in the snow. The only arm that was in his vicinity was a severed arm from the Nazi zombie. So he's got this... Dead Nazi arm, <laughs> which basically gives him, like, superpowers in this one hand. <laughs> yeah. uh, when I first saw it, like, I expected the hand to, like, fight against him or something. I thought he was going to, like, start choking himself or yeah, something. Yeah, and he's laying in the bed and he actually breaks loose of that handcuff. It looked like, yeah, he was going to, like, start punching people or, right. or, or choke him or something, yeah. Um, but you actually see it in one part. Um, in the, like I said, it's a teaser trailer, so it's very little context here, but he's walking towards this zombie that's coming after him and punches through the fucker's head. And his and, head just explodes. Yeah, it just pops into this this fountain of blood. <laughs> he just looks really satisfied with himself. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, that's basically all we really know about this, but I, mean, I, I didn't care for the original a whole lot, nor I. Okay. Um... But from what I've seen of this trailer, this looks like it might have a little more comedy attached to it. Possibly. Po possibly. Um, the first one is Running Zombies, which, if you don't know by now, we are staunchly against. Yeah. Um, but, it, I don't know, this one looks like it might be good. Um, well, we'll see it. Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, and I'm sure there's going to be more of a, a trailer that comes out soon. And if it's a Sundance... It might be a while before we actually see a review, uh, re excuse me, a release. Um, since we know that when a film goes to a film festival, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to come out anytime soon because it's still got to wait for distribution, um, and, you know, all, all the financial aspect. Um, so it could be a while before we actually see this, but, um, we're going to keep an eye on it and, uh, let you guys know, uh, if we see any more. Just moved in my new house today Moving was hard, but I got squared away Bell started ringing and changed right loud I knew I'd moved in a haunted house Still So, since I know absolutely no one is sick of Amityville horror movies, uh, good news is there's gonna be another one. Uh... It's going to be a found footage movie, which Ugh. is just so exciting, I know. And, uh, it's, it's simply called Amityville. It used to be called the Amityville Horror, The Lost Tapes. Generic name! <laughs> so they, they scrapped that and they're just going with straight Amityville. Um. Also a generic name! <laughs> uh, this just got a release date of January 2nd, 2015. So we got another year to wait. I like how this takes a whole fucking year to make. They could film this movie in a week. Especially if it's found footage. Yeah. You have a bunch of people running around with a camera. A camera. 
and have them film a movie in a week. Any CGI you plug in takes six months. You need a whole fucking year to put this out. They they gotta hype up the PR machine, you know. Fuck that. But basically, it's it's about this news intern who is on the verge of breaking the the most famous haunted house case in the world, and she takes a whole crew of journalists and clergymen and paranormal researchers and takes them on this investigation that becomes known as the Amityville Horror. So it's it, it sounds like it's somewhat of a prequel, maybe. I guess. Um, but, you know, it also sounds like a bunch of bullshit. It sounds like every fucking found footage film ever. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, what, was this necessary? I mean, I know Amityville, you put Amityville in front of anything and somebody's gonna watch it. But, really? I mean, what the fuck is the point? The original Amityville Horror and Amityville Horror 2 are the only ones worth watching. Right. Anything after that, although I do want to see the documentary. Uh, My Amityville Horror, I think it's called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I wouldn't mind seeing that, but that's not really part of the the canon or anything. Right. Um, But yeah, the original and part two are the only ones worth watching. Don't watch part three. Don't watch anything else. Don't watch the remake, for love of God. Tell them why you don't like the remake. Because, okay. (laughs) (laughs) What makes the original Amityville Horror so scary is all the things you don't see. There's creepy noises, and it just it gets in your head, and it fucks with your mind. Whereas the remake, they open a door, oh my god, a ghost! <laughs> Boo! And who's the lead? Fucking Ryan Reynolds, fuck that guy. <laughs> he hasn't done anything good since Two Guys, A Girl, in a Pizza Place. Green Lantern, even though nobody else did. Yeah, see? <laughs> so, yeah, that's happening, whether we want it to or not. Deal with it. <laughs> Against our will. Uh, did you give the release date as if anybody cared? I did. Okay. See, it's so not important you don't even notice. Yeah, I kind of turned this one off. Fuck it. Fuck it. No, we're not doing that again. Oh. Alright. We'll tell the next story. Now listen, everybody. We are experiencing some kind of disaster. No. It's the end of days. Oh my god. Something in the mist! Shut the doors! Shut the door! So, uh, the Stephen King story, The Mist, is, it was a movie in 2008? Yeah, that sounds right. Somewhere around there. Um, it's now apparently becoming a miniseries on TV, but it's not just TV. TV with Frank Darabont! Uh, Frank Darabont is going to be co- Entourage reference. Uh, he's, he's gonna be running this 10 episode miniseries. That's two for counting at home. And it's gonna be produced by the Weinsteins. Uh, not the Wine Guards. <laughs> that's three! <laughs> uh, that's really all we know. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, we, we couldn't find anything about what channel it's gonna be on, or who's gonna be in it, or when it's coming out. But uh it kind of seemed like the, the article we were looking at this this news was kind of uh was kind of writing on the tail of uh talking about the new Sin City. Right. Cuz you know that that's that's under the Weinsteins too. So um I think it was just kind of a a general a piggyback. Yeah, yeah. Um so yeah, like he said we don't really know anything about it yet other than it's going to be a 10 episode TV series. Um which what what are they going to do, I mean, even if it's ba- it's based on the remake, 
the remake, it kind of seemed like things were getting wrapped up. Well, thing is, I don't, is it like a new remake of the series? Is it continuing on with the, from the sequel, or from the remake? Is it continuing on from the original? Like, I don't know where they're going with this. Yeah. Um, it, like, like I said, I mean, the, the tail end of the original seemed like everything was kind of coming to a conclusion as far as like this, uh, this invasion of these creatures. Um, and even if it's not, I mean, like, I, I almost wonder if they're going to pull like a Walking Dead and do like an alternate story during the same occurrence. Yeah, that's possible. But, I don't know. Or maybe the creatures, like, go somewhere else. Maybe. I don't know. Attack I, a different group. I don't know. I'm not entirely sold on this, but I like Frank Darabont, so we'll see. Do you think you had a happy childhood? What is your earliest memory? The orphanage on fire. <laughs> You're being facetious. No, no, I'm not really. The orphanage I was in caught fire. Uh, November the 5th, 1979. Luckily, no one was hurt. Okay, next we've got... It's a, it's a new movie coming out with Simon Pegg. Um, it's called A Fantastic Fear of Everything. And there hasn't been a whole lot about this. Kind of like the plot is that uh, Simon Pegg, he plays a character called Jack. He's a children's author um, who never really wanted to be a children's author. But he just kind of fell into it. His real passion is uh, he wants to be a crime novelist. And he gets into this detailed research into the lives of Victorian ser- serial killers. And it's basically turned him, to, turned him into just this paranoid, delusional mess. Um, and he just develops this irrational fear of being murdered. <laughs> um, and see, uh, when Jack is thrown a lifeline by his long-suffering agent... And mysterious Hollywood executive takes a sudden and inexplicable interest in Jack's script. What should be his big break rapidly turns into his big breakdown as Jack is forced to confront his worst fears, among them love, laundromats, and serial killers. Um, and so this is going to be directed by Crispin, uh, Crispin Mills, um, who I'm Sounds not... like a serial company. <laughs> <laughs> who, uh, I'm not familiar with his work, um... But I tell you, looking at this movie, it, it, it looks like if Edgar Wright and Wes Anderson tag-teamed um, The Shining. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that. You see okay. that? Yeah. yeah. Um, it's just, it's got both of those guys' style in it and the general story. Or maybe not necessarily The Shining, maybe a combination of The Shining and Misery combined a little okay. bit. Okay, yeah. Um Anyway, so it's just, it's, it's got a very weird, kind of Wes Anderson stylized look to it. Um, but the same, it's got the same kind of, uh, when, when I say Edgar Wright, I'm thinking like, main, mainly like, uh, like Scott Pilgrim, just that kind of style of shot that he has where, you know, it's very drawn back, but there's like one central person in the middle of this big wide shot. Just things like things like that, um, and so that's kind of where I see it um, as a combination. Um, but right now, it's, it's finally got um, some release dates attached to it. Uh, first, it's going to come out on VA, VOD. Um, I mean, that's that's going to be like uh, iTunes, Google Play, Amazon, um, and I'm sure all the the um, the on-demand services on all the cable 
providers, I, I assume. Uh, that's going to be on the 7th, which, when you're listening to this, uh, is actually going to be the day before. So, when you're listening to this, you can go watch it <laughs> once you're done listening to us. Um, and it's also going to get a limited theater release, you know, just a handful of uh, theaters around the country on February 7th, which is a Friday, so you can, you know, go see it after work or something. But I'm, I'm pretty excited about this. It's, I like, me and you both really, really enjoy Simon Pegg as yeah. an actor. Um, you know, we, we talked about how much we, we love Edgar Wright's work, but even the stuff that Pegg has been in without Edgar Wright, we've, we've really enjoyed. Yeah, it's been um, really good. You know, Burke and Hare, Run, Fat Boy, Run. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I, I'm a huge fan of dark comedies. Absolutely. Um, you know, like, Shaun of the Dead was probably my favorite movie ever. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, that's a, a horror comedy. So I'm, I'm pretty excited to see this. It, it looks very entertaining. Yeah. And it, it, it's got just Simon Pegg's, you know, typical kind of dry British humor. I mean, it's not really in your face. It's just kind of really subtle jokes. And I mean, that, that's kind of become his, his shtick almost. Um, and so. He's pretty good though at, at mixing dry humor with slapstick. Yeah. Yeah. He sure is. Um, my, my favorite part about Simon Pegg is, to watch him, like, when he's not the focal point. Like, mm. when he's listening to someone else talk. Right. <laughs> just the reactions, the facial features that he has, he does so well. Yeah. I, uh, totally agree. He, uh, I don't know, he's just got something about him. And, you know, I don't think either of us will be ashamed today. We have a little bit of a man crush on him. Maybe a little bit. Just a little bit. But I'd kiss him on the mouth. Like, no, no farther than that. But yeah. Like, like, once or twice. It's it's not gay if you're thinking about chicks. Right. Anyway, so this looks like it could be a, a pretty good movie and definitely worth a watch. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're probably going to check it out when it comes out. And, uh, I don't know, maybe we'll do a review. We don't know yet. We may have seen it by the time this airs. Yeah. But uh, we'll we'll let you know what it's like either way. Uh, next little bit is David Morrissey has teased a possible return of the governor to The Walking Dead. Uh, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen the mid-season finale, plug your ears. Uh, the governor is killed by Michonne, and then uh, Lily, who was his, I guess, girlfriend, you could say, yeah. uh, shoots him. Because he told her, you know, if, if someone dies, you have to you have to shoot them or else they're going to come back. Mm-hmm. But the quote from Morrissey is, Something happened to him. I feel like a shady politician where I can't confirm and I can't deny anything. Certainly bad things befell him at the end of the last episode, but we just have to wait and see. Right. Um, so, I mean, that certainly sounds like he's going to be back. Yeah. And you have to wonder, maybe is he going to come back as a zombie if Lily didn't actually shoot him in the head? Mm-hmm. Because you just, you just kind of saw his POV... Where Lily points the gun at him, and then you hear the gunshot. Yeah, I mean, there's no way that he could have survived his wound from Michonne, because she put her her sword through his chest. Right. <laughs> uh, you just, there's no coming back from that, especially when you don't have medical attention. <laughs> but then there's also the possibility he could come back as like a vision, like Laurie did. Because mm, remember, yeah. Rick saw Laurie, you know, long after she had already died. Mm-hmm. 
That's something I hadn't thought of. She was basically in the, the whole rest of that season. Right, yeah. So, I mean, you know, Rick could be, he could go back to that mental state where he starts seeing visions and he could see visions of the governor. Yeah, just kind of playing like, um, I don't know, not necessarily his conscience, but uh, just kind of like an antagonist. Kind of an antagonistic vision, I guess. Yeah. Say, you know, kind of pu- pushing Rick over the edge. Yeah, it's like, oh, you know, you're you're letting your group down, you know, things like things like that, just kind of set him a little crazy. Um, but, or you know, Morrissey could just be fucking with us. Mm-hmm. Like like he said, we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, and I mean, there's really no saying when this might happen if it does happen. Um, I mean, because, you know, right now we're in the middle of um, a mid-season break. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, maybe it'll happen in the rest of this season when it picks up again. Next season, maybe, because we already know, like we reported on before, it's already been approved or been signed on for um, season five. So I guess it could technically happen either one. Um, but we don't, we just don't know yet. You need to document every single thing that goes on. We're making a small little fun movie because we're going to a church lock-in tonight. What is it? It's a dirty mag. Why don't we bring it to the lock? No. The entire building is going to be locked up. You're not going to be able to get out. I now believe there's a correlation between pornography and demon activity. Do you see that? Yeah, I got it. So, uh, the next thing we want to go into is a little bit of what the fuck news. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Holy Moly Pictures is coming out with a movie called The Lock-In, which is about a church lock-in where these teenage boys sneak in a porno magazine, and the porno magazine ends up unleashing... A demon. <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying this. Um, and the, then the, the demon just like torments them. It's, it's a found footage movie. Um, so, uh, you know, the Christian church is now trying to both cash in on the found footage uh, trend, and they're also trying to warn people of the dangers of pornography. Yeah. <laughs> because porn just ruins people's lives. Of course. Um, yeah. Uh, and holy moly pictures. That's, that, that's, that's the real name of the studio. Yeah. Um, it's gonna be released. <laughs> if you're listening to this on the 8th, it'll be released tomorrow. Uh, exclusively at thelockinmovie.com. Yeah, because they, you know they didn't want to sell out. They didn't want. To... <laughs> yeah, that's why. <laughs> oh God, this is so so fucking stupid. Uh, we were watching the trailer and this uh, this unholy evil that's unleashed from the porno magazine takes over this child, this little boy, and <laughs> I'm sitting there thinking, well, it's like why wouldn't you release it into this? You know, hot Amazon woman or something, you know, really just kind of embody sex and, and, and you know, evil. But then I thought, well, that might be sending the wrong message. 
You don't want people going, oh, that demon's hot. Right. I'd release her. <laughs> Into my pants. Ew. <laughs> uh, but... And it just... From the trailer, like, it looks like nothing happens. The trailer is a bunch of people running around. Like mm-hmm. I said, it's found footage, so it's just, like, a camera shaking and... <laughs> the the preacher is talking about, you know, I couldn't believe what it did to these kids. And then the next shot is this guy just crawling up the stairs going... <laughs> <laughs> it's like what the fuck is going on <laughs> and then when you finally see the the demon child he's just like sitting on the floor and this guy's like hey buddy what's going on and then he turns around and he's like and his face turns green yeah <laughs> I, because this movie is not or because this movie is a, like a christian movie like actually like a christian church movie um you know it's not going to have three principal things that make a horror movie successful. Violence, swearing, and nudity. Yep. It's not going to have any of those. So what the fuck is the point? <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. I, the, the point is to warn people against the evils of pornography. <laughs> right. But uh, that's not going to work. No. <laughs> and even in the trailer, when they said, like, the, 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 the kids find the, the porn magazine... Like, oh, it's a dirty or raunchy magazine or something like that. And it, it looks like it's a paper bag. Yeah, like, I don't know where they found it, but they, like, yeah, it was in a paper bag somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God damn it. But, uh, if you want to watch that. Don't. You can at thelockinmovie.com. And if you want to send us a review, by all means, please do, because we are not going to fucking watch this. No, fuck no. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it. Hey. Watch that. Dollar bills. Man came by to hook up my cable TV. We settled in for the night, my baby and me. We switched round and round till half past dawn. There was 57 channels and nothing on. 57 channels and nothing on. 57 channels and nothing on. All right, the last little bit of news we got for you guys is... um. I uh, just want to give you some updates on uh, all the, you know, the horror-themed TV shows that are kind of on their mid-season breaks right now, um, and tell you when they're picking up again, because this was something that was of particular interest to me, because I can never keep track of the damn things. But anyway, the dates are as follows. Um, we got Dracula and Grimm, which are both on NBC. They've actually premiered already. They premiered, if you're listening to this on Wednesday, it actually premiered last Friday. Those are both shows that, well, Grimm I really enjoy. I know Taylor's been watching it a little bit. I'm trying to get caught up. Right. Um, Dracula, I don't know. It's kind of one of those shows I just watch because I have nothing else to do. But it's it's not terrible. Anyway, those were both premiered last Friday. So you're behind on those. Watch them. Get caught up because in two days there's going to be a new episode. Next on FX, we got American Horror Story, which is premiering on... The tonight. 8th, which is tonight, yes. For those of you listening on the release date. Right. Um, so that's, just for clarification, that is January 8th. On January 13th, we've got Sleepy Hollow on Fox. Also, the season premiere of Being Human on Sci-Fi. Um, next, we got Supernatural, which is... I actually did not know Supernatural was still on. Oh, really? Yeah, I thought, <laughs> I thought it had been canceled. No, this, this is one of my favorite shows. I, I watch it every season religiously. Tony loves Jared Padalecki. So, <laughs> no, actually, I like Jensen Ackles better. I think Sam's kind of a 
pussy. Anyway, um, so yeah, Supernatural is actually premiering on January 14th, uh, which I believe is a Tuesday, if I've got, if I got my dates right. Um, and next, we got Return of the Walking Dead, and this is going to be a big one, on G- uh, February 9th. You almost said June. I, th- I think I almost said January. Well, January would have been better. Right. That would have been better. And then this is actually, next, is, this is actually not a return of a mid-season. This is actually the premiere of the season. Uh, it's Bates Motel, which actually premieres on March 3rd. So uh, keep an eye out for all those shows. If I missed any, let me know. Uh, just email me at uh, graveplotpodcast.gmail.com, and uh, I'll tag it onto the blog post and um, get some updates out there. All right, and that's about it for the news. Alright, now we've got something that we were both just over the moon about. It's like our first interview. Yeah, we were pretty surprised how easily it was. Yeah. Um, I literally just sent out a tweet to Eric England and said, Hey, we watched Contracted, we loved it, could we have you on the show? And he immediately responded back, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that was just kind of a, a, a telltale sign of what a good guy this, he is. Um, uh, just the fact that he's willing to, you know, re- I mean, obviously I'm sure he just wanted to promote his movie, but the fact that he was so willing to be on our show, talk with us for a bit, and uh, you know, just kind of talk about his movie, talk about a little bit of horror, talk about where he's going as far as a dire- being a director. Um, so it was really awesome. So... Here goes, guys. Check it out. All right, guys. You're here with uh, Skeletoni and Taylor of Terror. Uh, this is a special interview we've got here. Uh, got a guy who's kind of making a name for himself in the film industry. Uh, he's directed movies like... Um, uh, Madison County, and more recently did a movie that we actually reviewed not too long ago, uh, Contracted. We're here with uh, writer-director Eric England. How you doing, Eric? Good. How are you guys? Not Good. too shabby. Uh, really glad you could be here with us. You are our Thanks, first interview. Too. I'm so. here. Yeah, you're, you're our first interview, so if we... <laughs> you will go down in the annals of history. <laughs> oh, shit, man. You're, you're breaking territory with me. I'm a little nervous now. <laughs> Well, we're on the same boat then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So if we fuck it up, just just let it ride. <laughs> uh, I, I'll roll with it. Okay. So um, so mostly here to talk about uh, contracted, uh, cool. which uh, is a movie we both really enjoyed. It was, it was awesome. It was a great Thank job you. on that. Thank uh, you. Uh, Want to tell us a little bit about it? I mean, just kind of your your uh, explanation. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, essentially the movie is about a girl who has, uh, you know, a troubled young girl who's kind of at a weird place in her life in her relationship. She's uh, questioning her sexuality and, you know, dealing with some personal stuff and, and basically has a, an encounter with a, with a guy and essentially uh, ends up having sex with him in the back of a car. And uh, throughout throughout the next couple of days, she realizes that she's not feeling well and, and, and goes to the doctor and, and 
thinks she's contract uh, what appears to be an STD, but turns out to be something much, much worse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that was uh, a lot. Of, a lot of that was rough to watch. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Uh, yeah, I mean, like we both, we have pretty, uh, pretty, pretty iron stomachs, but. A lot of that grossed us out, so congratulations cool. to you. <laughs> Thank you so much. I, I appreciate noticed, it. I noticed you like to retweet whenever someone tells you that it was disgusting. <laughs> you, see, you seem to take a lot of pride in that. I do. You know, I, I think I think I take pride in it because, you know, I, I hear that a lot. I hear people say, oh, I have an iron stomach. And, and myself, you know, I, I tend to not be very squeamish during movies. And, and I don't know. I, I think it's one of those things where it's like, uh, horror horror audiences seem to be I don't want to say jaded, but they seem to be so numb these days. You know Definitely. what I'm saying? It's really really hard to kind of uh, spark a, a reaction out of people. And to be completely honest with you, I didn't know what kind of reactions I was going to get from Contracted. Like it was one of those things where people were like, "Oh, you can't scare me, or you can't do this." Yeah. So going into it, that was never really my goal was to like gross people out. I was just wanting to do what was real to the story. You know, so the fact that people were like. Man, like I never get squeamish in a movie. Like I've had people tell me, like, dude, I never get sick, and like I puked in your movie. You know, yeah. and it's like <laughs> it, it blows my mind. So it's like the coolest thing in the world because we we definitely weren't like, oh man, we hope we get them with this. You know, it just yeah. turned out that way. So so maybe maybe on the next one, I'll actually like try to, to do something, <laughs> see where it goes. Yeah, and it's like it's like you said, the the realism of it. I mean, it wasn't over the top. Uh, yeah, I think we actually discussed that in our review. It just wasn't over the top. It was things that could actually happen. <laughs> and yeah, I think, cool. I think that's, um, when you said that, uh, horror viewers are, are jaded, um, I think that they get so, so, um, engrossed in just over the top shit that when they yeah. see something that could actually happen, it's just like, oh God, this is real. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, I think if it gets under your skin or kind of gets you at an emotional level where you can identify with it, I think that's where you're really into some scary territory. Yeah. Definitely. Um, so why don't you uh, tell us a little about about the the actual production, the actual making of the movie? Um, I mean, like uh, the kind of timeline. Uh, how long were you shooting? What kind of things you encountered? Yeah, the movie. Um, the movie was an idea I'd been kicking around for a while, um, but but it started out as kind of just this idea of like, okay, two people have sex and something bad comes of that. You know, mm-hmm. that was originally the initial idea, and then uh, when the producers approached me about doing a movie. They came to me and they were like, hey, we, we have no money and we really want to make a movie this year. And um, they were like, you know, Madison County was made on a very small budget. And they were like, we, you know, it showed a lot of promise in you as a young director. And, and uh, they'd seen my, my second movie, uh, Roadside, which was drastically different from, from Madison County. So they knew I had, a, I had some versatility to me. And, um, and so I told them I had this movie idea that I really wanted to do. And that's what I wanted my next movie to be. And so... They approached me. I wrote the script in March of 2012, and by May of 2012, we were filming. So the movie was written and started shooting in less than two months. Oh, wow. Um, and then the actual shoot was uh, 15 days. And then, you know, I think uh, my editor and I did, uh, like, we locked picture in six weeks. So the movie was just kind of lightning fast. It was very much an experiment um, of, hey, we have this much money and this much time. Uh, we have some brand new producers. This was technically my, my third feature film, uh, that, that we were planning to release. And, uh, so it was, it was really just kind of, uh, let's see what we can do with what we have. You know, it was kind of, uh, it, it, I tell a lot of people that Contracted is kind of like a, a glorified home movie because we were shooting mm-hmm. in our friends' apartments. We were shooting in, you know, borrowed 
loca- uh, locations. We were all the actors were wearing their own clothes. You know, like everyone. <laughs> there was nothing really fancy about this shoot you know like our dp even owned the camera like we didn't oh, wow. have a bunch of rental stuff all the gear that we used to shoot the movie fit in the back of uh, one of our crew members subaru like <laughs> the car she drives in the movie was our assistant cameraman's like everything in this movie was just such like uh hey let's throw it together and 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 we have a camera and let's just make something up and shoot a movie right okay yeah and you know you're saying you're shooting on a really small budget uh I mean, about how much was that uh, I'd get murdered if I told you, oh, but it's, um, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's really, really, really small. Okay. Maybe, maybe one day I'll, my producers won't kill me and I'll be able to say it publicly, but yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not, not a lot. Um, uh, what, what were some of the kind of the, the, the roadblocks you'd hit on such a, on such a tiny budget? Um, I mean, everything, everything's a roadblock, you know, when you're, when you're making a movie, you know, it's making a movie with no money is kind of a double-edged sword because on one end of the spectrum, you don't have a lot of resources, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so, so everything's kind of a pain in the ass, but uh, on the other hand, like you don't have anything holding you back, if that makes sense. Like you're kind of dangerous because you don't, you don't have any, you don't have anyone to tell you no or anything, you know, and you kind of have to get creative. So, um, so that that's kind of the uh, that's the mentality I actually like, you know, because if this was like a studio film, they'd they'd be like, "There's no way in hell you're gonna have maggots falling out of a vagina in your movie. <laughs> There's no way, you know, like we're not gonna let that happen." So so it's great that we had the freedom to do those kind of things. So you know, censorship wise, we were pretty free. Although the producers um, are extremely extremely religious, and that's why there's no nudity in the film. Oh, but okay. uh, aside from that, you know, when they told me there could be no nudity in the film, because originally there was tons of nudity written into the script and i think if i would have shot the script the way that it was written we probably wouldn't have the same people in the movie but (laughs) um but i i kind of looked at it as like you know if spielberg can shoot a movie about a killer shark and not have a shark to show then maybe i can shoot a movie about an std and not show nudity so i i I took it as a challenge but um the the roadblocks were like i said a little bit of everything just not having locations not having permission to do anything we we always ask for forgiveness rather than for permission and um (laughs) The uh, the biggest I think the biggest encounter we ran into was budget for makeup because the the makeup budget uh, people usually shit themselves when they hear this the makeup budget we had up for this movie was probably one of the lowest budgets we had oh, wow. in all the departments like I think we spent more money on food for the cast and crew than we did on makeup <laughs> okay. um, so so you know that just tells you how low the budget was for the makeup like sh- our makeup artist is a absolute badass i agree uh yeah I, I that's, that's really surprising because the makeup was extremely well done yeah thank you yeah and I, i'm a bit of a makeup hobbyist myself um yeah and so yeah just seeing that work and knowing that it was such a tiny budget i was very impressed thank you thank you yeah I, i'll pass that along to her because i mean basically uh our makeup artist uh did, did a lot of assistant work on the side and you know she was always like a, a hired gun on on other movies and stuff like that but we we told her we're like hey you're gonna be the supervisor you're gonna get to do everything and uh and we told her we're like listen you're not gonna have a lot of money but you know if you pull this off like it's gonna be fucking killer for you and I think what I tried to do to help her was exactly what we talked about earlier, which was create scenarios within the makeup that felt realistic so that we didn't have to get really extensive with like prosthetics. Like there's no prosthetics in this movie. There's no, you know, I think we use like 
one sheet of latex and that was like for the bald spot and and you know maybe a cut on her forehead at the end of the movie you know like everything is literally just fake blood or it's makeup or it's it's little props like teeth and fingernails and you know it's just it's all just little stuff you know but it feels really big because of the impact it has to the story so that's what i tried to do was try to make something feel bigger than it was and and i I think we succeeded but uh the the hardest part of the shoot was definitely the last scene of the movie uh after you know hopefully people who are listening to this haven't not watched the movie yet so i'm gonna spoil don't, some shit. don't worry we accidentally spoiled it in our review anyway so <laughs> okay right. um but uh, you know when when she uh when she turns into you know a, a zombie at the end of the movie um after the car crash that was the tar- the toughest part to film because we shot in la and you know, LA is not very film friendly and, and they don't just let you, you know, wreck cars and have people covered in blood and, you know, pull guns out and all kinds of stuff like that in the mm-hmm. middle of LA, in the middle of a busy intersection. Um, when you're one, you're a small movie like us. And two, we have no money to pay you. They tried to charge us like $5,000, um, just for the, the permit to shoot at that location. And we were like, there's no way in hell. So, um, so we ended up just stealing that shot and like hoping that no cops drove back. <laughs> gorilla style. <laughs> yeah. It was very, the whole movie was gorilla style. So you do consider this a zombie movie? Uh, yeah, I, I personally do, but you know, I, I try not to say that too much because at the same time, I, some people have called it a vampire movie. Um, some people have called it a monster movie. Some people have, you know, likened it to, you know, 28 days later, 28 weeks later, which sure. essentially those are zombie movies, but they, you know, they're, they're created from this, this rage virus or, or what have you. And for me, <laughs> that's essentially where this movie is. It's the beginning of all those movies. Yeah. Uh, I, I could definitely see that. And, uh, I mean, we're both huge zombie fans. I mean, that's kind of like our our passion in, in horror. Um, cool. And so to see this and see it presented in such a creative way, uh, I mean, just the, the, the virus being transmitted via basically an SCD, um, yeah. that was just ingenious. I mean, <laughs> Thank you. I uh, wonder, is that a little bit of personal experience? <laughs> Uh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, no, um, I, I, I think, I think the influence really was just living in LA, you know, and you go out to all these parties and you see all these desperate people. Mm-hmm. And if you watch the movie, you, you know, it's funny because Contracted is without a doubt a horror film, but if you take away all the horror, it's really just a fucked up like drama. You know what I'm saying? It, it's yeah. a really dramatic and, and emotional movie. And for me, the movie was really about the characters because if you don't either love or hate these characters, you don't give a shit about what's going on in the movie. And it's funny because I've, I've had a lot of people, uh, you know, send me reviews on the film, uh, where people say, Oh, we hated the characters or, you know, the people in your movie act ridiculous. And that's totally valid. And I, I don't, you know, everyone's open to their opinion, but it's like there, I have two things to say to that. And the first one is, is, well, yeah, everyone acts ridiculous because if you ever been to LA, everyone's so fucking <laughs> full of themselves that it's like there, there are people, homeless guys literally walking the streets, taking shits in front of you and you don't care. Yep. Like you, you just walk around them or you, you know, it's like another day in paradise. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Your friend has a fucking drug habit and you don't, you know, you're enabling them by not helping them. And it's like everyone in L.A. is just so self-centered. And I saw so much of that that I incorporated into the movie. And then the same thing with the party and how the, the, the sex, quote unquote, even is initiated. It's just so ambiguous because, you know, life nowadays in 2013, almost 2014 
is so it's not black and white anymore. It's so gray and there's so many, you know, different ways that things can be transmitted or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like Samantha's character is a very flawed person. In my opinion, she's not a very likable character. She makes a bunch of really stupid decisions, Mm -hmm. but it's because she has her own interest at, or she has other people's interests that are not good for her at heart. She's always chasing this girl that doesn't want her. She's running away from her mom who wants to help her. She's, she's, uh, you know, clinging to her best friend who secretly wants to be with her. She's running away from this guy who wants nothing to do, but like, you know, be with her. And it's just such a weird fucked up dynamic of people that, when I saw that, I was like, the the idea of this girl physically decomposing while her relationships of the people around her de- decompose as well was just really cool. So that I think that's where the, the influence really came from. That and, um, you know, I don't think I got laid enough in high school. So I was like, <laughs> I'm not getting laid, then I don't want anyone to get laid. Sure. <laughs> um, so saw a lot of, uh, like, kind of familiar faces in this. Um, we saw, like, a... Like Charlie Kuntz, um, yeah, uh, Katie Stegman, yeah, Stegman, okay, uh, and Matt Mercer. I've uh, seen him in your previous movies. I mean, are these buddies of yours, of yours, or just people you've kind of met along the way, or? Um, both, you know, I, I think, you know, they're, they're absolutely friends now, but, uh, I, I met them all in LA, mm-hmm. um, through, through the normal channels of auditioning. Uh, Katie came into audition for a movie of mine that actually never happened. And then she ended up in Madison County mm-hmm. and Matt Mercer, I met through Madison County and, and, uh, Charlie Coons, I met through Katie actually, cause they went to college together. Oh, okay. Um, okay. but, uh, but yeah, you know, it's LA is a very tight knit place. And, and like I said, I, I wasn't joking when this is, when I said, this is kind of a home movie, like literally every Everyone in the film is uh, either a friend of mine, someone I've worked with in the past, someone I've wanted to work with, or friends of someone else on the movie. Like, it was literally like, hey, we have this role, and I'm looking for this type of person. Who do you guys know? And they'd send me their thoughts, and I'd go meet with that person, and I'd get their vibe. And we only had... um, The only two people who auditioned for a part in this movie were Najara, the lead, and... um, and uh, that's it, actually. Najar is the only one that auditioned, but we did uh, audition people for the role of her mother, which we ultimately gave to Caroline Williams. But Najar is the only person who had to actually audition to get the part in the movie. Oh, okay. uh, and she did a great job. I mean, was it was it kind of like a, like an instantaneous thing when you when you saw her, or um, I mean, do you have to go through a few different a few different girls, or do you just know she was the one? Um, she, she was absolutely the one. I mean, we we saw a few girls. Uh, we looked into a few that we just kind of. Uh, you know, we wanted to reach out to directly, but like I said, we shot the movie or we started getting ready to shoot the movie so quickly that we didn't have time to deal with anyone's agents or, you know, negotiations and contracts and all that bullshit. So we really had to find an actress who was hungry to do the role, who was available at the time and wasn't going to have a million demands. And the great thing about Najara is, you know, she's had movies at Sundance and she's, she's actually, you know, a, a decently well-known actress in the kind of indie uh, circuit, but she's never done anything like this before so it really excited her and the the thing that i love about najara is just she's down as fuck you know what i'm saying she i i told her like when i hired her i was like i need to know one thing and and one thing only and she's like what's that and i was like are you gonna fucking kick ass in this movie right. that's all <laughs> and she was like yeah sure <laughs> and I was like, great you know like that's that's what i want to hear the moment she walked in the room uh i turned to matt mercer and katie who were doing the auditions with me and i was like that's that's our girl, and it, it was really hers to lose from that point on, and she just killed it every time. So we we all fell in love with her. And uh, you know, actually, this is something I was curious about while we were actually watching the movie. 
um, is the character of BJ. Yeah. Um, both times that he was in the film, he was out of focus. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now that I've, I've got you here, I can actually ask you this. Was that intentional? Because both times Sam was fucked up on something, whether yeah. she was boozed or on, on heroin or, or whatever. Um, she was just trashed both times she encountered him. So was that just kind of like to, so that, you know, she can't see his face, so neither can you? Was that, that what you were going for? Actually, we just had a really shitty camera assistant who couldn't. <laughs> uh, no, no, it was it was absolutely a, a creative choice. Um, it, it it worked because you're exactly right. She was under the influence every time, whether she had been drinking at the party or she was date raped or um or, or even you know she was high after visiting Zane's house. Mm-hmm. Um, that was part of it, but the other part of it was simply a creative choice. Uh, I didn't want the audience to know. One, what BJ looked like at the beginning of the film, mm-hmm. so that later on in the movie, if that's him at the bar, we wouldn't know. We think it is, but we're not sure because she's fucked up. And if it is him, you know, it's, it's kind of just playing with both sides of the audience. It's like we shot BJ this way at the beginning of the film, so we're we're hinting to the audience that it is him. Um, but at the same time, she's under the influence, so we can't really be sure. And and that that was really. For me, I'm a big fan of ambiguity. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, when I watch a movie, I love when the film doesn't give me all the answers and I still have to think about it after I'm done. Um, and, and that was one of, one of the things I really wanted to strive for with Contracted was present you, the viewer, with the options to come to your own conclusions, but never really say what, you know, what, what's absolutely happening because, you know, I, I think that's the beauty of storytelling is, is it, you can kind of unfold it and kind of choose your own direction if the filmmaker allows you that option, you know? Sure. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, that, that control you had over it was, uh, was, it was great. I mean, there was you, a lot of thing, a lot of movies you can kind of infer things even though you're not shown, shown to you, but in, yeah. in contracted is like you had a very controlled environment, uh, to where it's like, you're you're basically in the same boat as you know mostly Samantha to where if she's like like I said earlier if she can't see it neither can you and it's yeah that, that kind of vibe through the whole movie so I, I gotta applaud you for that <laughs> thank you thank you we'd also wondered what exactly happened to BJ because I mean like if that was him at the bar <laughs> wouldn't he have been totally fucked up by then wouldn't he be decomposing and rotting too yeah I mean that's that's another case it's like is that BJ because would he be also earlier in the film. Uh, Alice says on the phone, she was like, the cops just caught that guy who was at my house the other night. So, you know, if, if he was picked up by the cops, who was that guy? Or maybe mm-hmm. the cops have the wrong guy. Um, once again, that for me, that's the beauty of it is, is it asks so many questions. Maybe, maybe, uh, you know, uh, you know, th- some people have called this kind of the, the patient zero story, you know, the, yeah. the story of the first zombie. But essentially, you know, uh, the 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 kind of the analogy is like maybe maybe BJ's character is kind of the uh, the monkey that carries the Ebola virus. It's like mm-hmm. you can't detect it on him, but the moment he transfers it to someone, they're fucked. Or you know maybe it takes a little longer for that person or whatever. You know it's like Magic Johnson with AIDS. That guy's has AIDS since I was a kid. He's still, <laughs> he looks younger than I do. And actually, you know that you uh, mentioned that you're you're young. You're twenty five. Twenty five. Yes, sir. Uh, do you seem to? I mean, do you feel you just have any issues being so young in the in the industry? Do you do you hit any roadblocks because of that? As far as getting respect or anything like that? 
Um, luckily not so much now. <laughs> um, <laughs> thankfully, thankful to contracted. Um, but definitely before, I mean, when I did my first movie, Madison County, um, I actually had to defer any sort of paycheck or anything like that on the film because it was like, you know, the people who were financing the film were like, Hey, we're, we're giving you an opportunity to make your first film. Like this isn't, you know, this isn't like, Oh, you've done this before. So you have to sacrifice, you have to do everything. And, and sacrifice is exactly what I did. And, you know, I went on so many meetings for other movies where they were just like, we, we don't feel comfortable giving you X amount of dollars because you're young and you know, this and that. And, and I mean, I, I think no matter what in the inter entertainment industry, you're going to run into roadblocks. Hell I'm running into them right now with, you know, films I'm trying to do in the future. And they're like, Oh, there's a little more humor in this movie than we saw in contracted or whatever. And it's like, we don't know if you can handle the comedy. So, you know, no matter what, there's going to be a roadblock. But for me, the, the whole point of, you know, trying to make as many movies as I have so far and do do it is just to show them that it's all bullshit. You know, it's like if I'm 25 now and I've, I've made three features, it's like, I, hopefully by the time I'm 30, I'll have fucking, you know, 10 movies or, or whatever, you know? And it's like, I, 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 I just I want to continue to get better, and the only way you're going to do that is by making movies. You yeah, know? So absolutely. Th there's definitely a stigma, but it's like you know the only way to get better is to to grow, and to grow is to you know get experience. So, yeah. Um. So, what horror movies? Like, what's what's your favorite horror movie? What movies inspire you? Um, my favorite horror movie of all time is an easy one. Uh, it's Scream. Scream is my all-time favorite movie. Period. I. I don't know. It's there's something. It's definitely a nostalgia, but I I think that film just embodies a little bit of everything for me. It's got humor. It's got great acting. It's got brilliant writing. It's got brilliant directing. Um, the score is amazing. It's just an incredible film. But I'm I'm inspired by a little bit of everything. Like I I love comedies as much as I love horror films, as much as I love chick flicks, as much as I love you know anything. Because to me, contracted is kind of a chick flick. Um, but, uh, but, you know, for, for contracted specifically, I was really drawn to a, a lot of, um, obscure little indie films that did really well on the festival circuit. Cause that was kind of the idea for this. Like Madison County didn't really do, um, the festival tour. Like we kind of made it and we were just like, fuck it. We want to get it out there and get it released. So we, we sold it to the first distributor we came across and, um, my second film, which hasn't been released yet, uh, was, was, you know, to go in a different direction than that. So with Contracted, I was like, fuck it. I want to make a movie that we could potentially take on the festival circuit and do some cool things with. So I looked at movies like Lucky McKee's May um, as an example or Paul Solid's Grace, um, uh, the the guys that did um, Dead Girl that was at Toronto a few years back. Um, that was a you good know, one. Movies like that. Yeah, movies like that that were really kind of weird and obscure. And then, uh, and, and then like, People, you know, favorites like uh, Cabin Fever was obviously uh, a, a huge influence for me. I'm, I'm a big, big Cabin Fever fan. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then, you know, traditional zombie movies in, in the way of, you know, 28 Days Later, like that we use some shutter speed stuff like they did in uh, 28 Days and 28 Weeks Later where the frame gets really choppy towards the end of the film. Mm -hmm. and, there, there were a lot of aesthetic references like that. Um, but, yeah, th those were kind of the influences for th that. But in terms of, like, my personal taste, um, I actually – I love zombie movies, but I, I think, unfortunately, it's probably the most over 
saturated subgenre in horror because you know you it's like that. <laughs> you can you can throw some blood on your friends and go in your backyard and create a zombie movie and I think everyone's done it you know and it's like that was that was the whole idea for me making contracted was I want to throw blood on my friends and go in my backyard and make a movie but I want to do it differently than anyone else has ever done and 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 tell a story differently than than anyone else has done in a while so that was kind of the idea but um but in terms of like my favorite horror movies Personally, aside from Scream, I'm a big Hitchcock fan, so Psycho uh, is one of them. My my second movie, Roadside, is very very Hitchcockian, uh, and and there's a lot of influences in that. And I'm a big fan of uh, old Carpenter stuff, like uh, like the original Halloween. Mm-hmm. Um, they Live is one of my favorite films of all time. <laughs> um, the Fog, big big fan of that. And then uh, you know I, I love I'm actually a really big slasher guy. Slasher is probably my favorite subgenre of film. So yeah. the original Texas Chainsaw <laughs> Massacre, absolutely. Uh, yeah, and, and the original Halloween, the you know all, all that all that good stuff. You, you can't you can't top that in my opinion. Oh yeah. We we were glad to see that you went with the slow moving shambling zombie at the end of the movie as opposed to the running. Yeah. Yeah, we're kind of purists in that in that fashion. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Me too. I, I I think you know I think starting out since it was the genesis, it, it only made sense to kind of make her a traditional zombie. You know. Mm-hmm. Um. So, all things considered, from start to finish, looking back, do you think there's anything you might have done differently like at all i mean um, not necessarily change the conditions i mean i obviously you probably wanted like maybe get some more money or something but yeah uh but given the conditions you had would there's anything you would have done differently um i i think i think whenever you finish a movie you always look back at it and you kind of hate your life <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> you know the the crazy thing about making a movie is it's never going to turn out the way it is in your head mm-hmm. um and and i i said this on the behind the scenes uh that's going to be on the dvd and it's it's a very true quote and it's one that i love um you know because a, a lot of young filmmakers and i struggled with this a little bit myself when i was first making my movies um, you know, a lot of young filmmakers try to emulate their favorite directors and they try to make movies like their favorite directors rather than trying to find their own voice. And for me, Contracted was trying to do my own thing and, and follow my own voice rather than say like, oh, I really like, you know, the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So I'm going to make my own version of that, you know. Um, so so with that in mind, um, the quote that I that I heard was um, you'll never be the filmmaker that you want to be only the filmmaker you, that you are. And and I think that's such a great quote because it's like, you know, I, I, I could love Hitchcock or David Fincher, which are two of my favorite directors, mm-hmm. but those guys are always going to be them. That's them. That's sure. Those are their movies. That Those are their lives. Those are their careers. I'm only going to have what I can do, and, and, and I have to be okay with that. So when I look back at Contracted and I see every nook and cranny and every flaw, it's like – are there some things that I wish I, I would have done differently? Yeah, I probably would have written some things a little differently. I would have, um, you know, maybe maybe touched up a few scenes. I wish I had a little extra time to shoot a few things. Um, I wish I had the time to go back and maybe reshoot a couple things. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, it's like the film has done as well as it has uh, being my smallest film. It's the smallest budget I've ever had, uh, smallest amount of time I've ever had to shoot a movie. So the I, I guess the, the simplest answer would be, I think there's always, you know, a, a want to go back and fix something, but I don't think I would change anything at this point. The the movie's done so much better than we ever expected, and it's like, you know, wh- why fuck with that? Because you have to find beauty in the imperfection, you know? Sure. Yeah. Right on. Yeah, it's good to, to, you know, be accepting of your work. I mean, no matter how it turns out, you know, because it's yours. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, so sometimes you have to kind of just fucking bite, bite, bite the bullet and go with it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so according to your Twitter, you're colorblind. Is that true? Yeah, I'm very colorblind. Does that pose a lot of challenges? Um, ironically, no. I I went to school for cinematography. Um, and and I learned, you know, I knew nothing about film when I first started going to school because I'm just an ignorant hick from Arkansas. So um, so when I got to school, I realized that color was a very important part of cinematography and photography. So I I knew that as a director, I would have to use color to my advantage. But luckily, I can I can speak in terms of uh, mood and atmosphere and feeling. Uh, that I can communicate to my director of photography and he kind of handles the color. Like, like I love the color in Contracted and how there's tons of bright colors in the beginning and mm-hmm. uh, t- tons of vibrancy and, and lots of life. And then towards the end of the film, it's not black and white, but all the colors basically sucked out of the movie. It's yeah, very, very dreary. Very really dull, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's very, very unsaturated. And, um, and, and to me, that's, that's the beauty of, of being colorblind is I can, I can kind of feel that in my head as it goes along because I can see color, but I, I don't, I can't interpret it very well. You know what I'm saying? So, um, as long as I can speak in terms of feelings and emotions and then I can, I can usually get it, get it pretty good. And, and actually the, the irony of it is the brighter the color, the better I can see it. So that's why there are so many bright colors. The beginning of the track, <laughs> like I want really, really bright red lights and really, really bright blue lights. Cause I can see those and I know exactly what they look like. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, the way you presented the film is a, a kind of a three day breakdown. Yeah. Um, what was, I mean, I guess what was your kind of uh, motivation behind that uh, rather than just, you know, saying, okay, this is a given amount of time rather than like being real specific. This is day one, day two, day two, day three. What was kind of your motivation behind that? Um, the motivation really came from uh, being as true to the story as I possibly could and asking myself, how long do I really feel like it would take for someone to turn into a zombie? Um, you know, cause, cause sometimes when you're watching a movie, someone gets bit and, you know, they turn right away or sometimes someone gets bit and they, it takes a few hours or whatever. And it's like, I was thinking of it in terms of that. Like mm-hmm. if this is a true zombie movie and she has sex with someone and that's how she contracts the zombie virus, I don't feel like it's as intense as like being bitten in the neck and it going directly into your bloodstream. You know what I'm saying? Right. So like it's got to penetrate all the layers of flesh in her body. And I tried to think of it as logistically and scientifically as possible. And for me, I was like, you know, I wouldn't, I didn't want the story to start out right away. So she has sex and then like, you know, she, that night she's partying at like two in the morning and then she wakes up at two in the afternoon and 12 hours later, she's already showing signs. Like the first day, it's kind of mellow. She wakes up, she gets in a fight with her mom, she goes to the cafe and sees her girlfriend, comes back for dinner, and then she has a stomach ache as she leaves the table. And then she wakes up the next day and suddenly there's blood all over. You know, it's like for me, I wanted that passage of time to show the reality of like, well, there's not really a ton of signs at first because like in a zombie movie when someone gets bit, they're able to hide it, you know, and they're able to kind of like cover it up and they don't want the group they're with to know about it. So I try to think of it as logistically as possible in terms of that. And then the further it goes along, the less she can hide it from people, you know? Yeah, definitely. Very cool. Um, Okay, so uh, I think that's essentially all we have for Contracted itself. Um, uh, We know you're at least kind of uh, connected in some way to Madison County too, whether or not that actually is actually happening or not. Um, yeah. Well, what, what, what's, a, what's kind of the story with that? I mean, where's that stand? 
Um, right now, uh, Madison County 2 is one of those films that I have the financing for. Um, there is a script uh, that I wrote. I'm not sure how happy I am with it right now. Mm-hmm. Um, essentially, Madison County 2 for me is one of those movies that um, it's just going to have to be a timing thing. Uh, right now, Contracted's opened up a lot of really cool doors, and, and I'm really thankful for that. And, you know, the one thing uh, th- that you guys mentioned and, and, and some people have picked up on that I'm really thankful and, and proud for is the fact that Contracted is a, is a pretty unique film. And it's like, for me, that's what I want to do, is I want to continue trying to do unique films that we either haven't seen before or it's a spin on something that we've never seen in that way before. So for me, Madison County 2 uh, would be a little bit of going back to the well. So if I can figure out a way to reinvent the story of Madison County and and just kind of put a spin on on the slasher subgenre a little more, I think that's when I'll go to it. But sure. um Right now, it's just not something – it just doesn't interest me to go back to a story that I've already kind of dove into and, and explored and, and, you know, try to figure my way back out of it because, you know, Madison County was my first film. I, I realize all of its flaws and I realize everything about it. And if I'm going to do a Madison County 2, it's almost going to be like my Evil Dead 2 where I'm going to go back and just kind mm-hmm. of amp it up. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know um, – you know, I, I think there will be a Madison County 2, hopefully. I don't know if I'm going to direct it. Maybe I'll just write it and produce it or something. But mm-hmm. ultimately, that's what I'd like to do. I mean, I, I really want to start producing for, for younger filmmakers and, and hopefully make it easier for them to get their first movies made and stuff. And, and right if on. I can, you know, give give a, a young director, like, you know, a Madison County 2 or something like that, or even 3 or 4 or whatever it is, um, you know, I think that would be really cool. So I think once yeah, I kind admirable. of crack that equation... Yeah, yeah. Once I crack that equation, I think uh, I'll figure it out. But right now, I, I just don't have the time to to really focus that much energy on it. But who knows? I could wake up tomorrow with like the craziest idea for Madison County Two and rewrite <laughs> the entire script. And before you know it, it's it's coming out. <laughs> right. uh, so, um, why don't you give us some uh, details on Contracted as far as like where you can where you can see it and any DVD plans or anything like that. Yeah, right now it's um it's on all, you know, major VOD and on demand outlets, all the cable on demand on your TV and stuff and uh it's on iTunes, Amazon, all, all those all those good places and um I'm not sure about the DVD yet. I I've heard some rumors that it's coming out in late February, early March maybe. Um but uh but yeah, it'll be out early next year and um yeah, it's still in some theaters right now. I don't know where it's at exactly yet, but yeah, it's it's still in some theaters. Cool. So your next project is called Hellbent, right? Uh, yes, one of them. Oh, one of them. No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I mean, is that like the next thing we're going to see from you, or do you have something else in the pipe? Or um, that's that's questionable right now. I mean, there's a chance it could be. I'm I'm currently writing my next movie right now. Uh, we're looking to start shooting uh, probably like Aprilish uh, of, of next year. Um, so a few months from now, um, and, and we're pretty pretty serious about the pre-production, but you know, we were planning on doing this uh, before Contracted came out, and then when Contracted came out, it it really um, things just changed. You know, I had a lot of calls and a lot of lot of offers come my way, which was you know every filmmaker's dream. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm entertaining some of those ideas, but you know the reason I make the movies the way I do is because Hollywood doesn't move as fast as most filmmakers would like. You know, right. it's like I don't deal with I don't want to deal with their money and their time. If I know I have the money in the movie I want to make, then I want to go make it. So right now I'm working on something that hasn't been announced and I don't know if I'm going to, I don't know if I'm going to like shoot it under the radar and not tell anybody really about it and then just kind of pop up with it one day or if I'm going to, 
you know, announce while I'm shooting or what. But I'm, I'm writing it right now, and if everything keeps going the way it's going, we're, we're going to be shooting it pretty soon. Um, if one of these other films that, that kind of, you know, opened its doors to me actually happens, then maybe I'll do one of those. But Hellbent, uh, Hellbent does have financing. It was recently financed, um, and uh, we're, we're trying to shoot, I want to say, the summer of 2014 of this coming year. So um, hopefully it'll, it'll be in festivals later next year or early 2015. But it's definitely um, one of the next films I want to be doing, and I'm really fucking excited about it because it's, it's a gnarly little movie. Right, cool. Looking forward to that. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. Um, yeah, yeah, if you come to Seattle, we'll buy you a beer. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I appreciate that. I'm, I'm actually. I think we're shooting uh, my one of my next movies uh, in in Oregon, so I'm I'm up y'all's way quite a bit. Right on. Right on. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks again, Eric, for stopping by and talking to us. No problem. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, and uh, you know when uh, when you got a new project uh, you want to talk about, keep us in mind, and we'll uh, be sure to get you on. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I'm honored to be uh, your maiden voyage on the interview session. <laughs> Thank you very much for that. Thank you for being gentle. <laughs> <laughs> Always. All right, Eric. Uh, you take care, man. All right, you too, guys. Have a good night. Later. Wasn't that fun? That was great. Yeah, I, he he was a really really chill guy. Yeah, he's so down to earth and was just not something I didn't really expect from a uh, from a director. Uh, yeah, and I mean, he, we we told him it was it was our first interview, and he he was like, oh, you know, I'm, now that makes me a little nervous. But he was yeah. still like, he was very cool. He wasn't like, you know, didn't make us feel like like he thought he was above us or anything like that. Mm-hmm. He was he was a really cool guy. It was yeah. a very fun interview. Yeah, and I hope he does come out here. Uh, we you know. You may have heard that he is uh, filming out in Oregon, you know, semi semi regularly. Um, so hopefully he gets in touch with us, and maybe we could, uh, I don't know, maybe do a live interview or something. <laughs> we we could take him to Pie Bar and get pie. We could get pie. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so Eric, if you're listening, keep us in mind. Moving on to our reviews. So up first, we have my pick, which this episode is from 2011, a movie called You're Next. I want to meet your family. Thanks to Mom and Dad for having us all here together. On August 23rd, why would anybody do this? This wasn't a random attack. Our family's being targeted. The hunted. Grab anything that might make a good weapon. Fight back. Everything's going to be fine. You're next. Rated R. Okay, so this is written by Simon Barrett and directed by Adam Wingard. Um, this movie, it, like I said, it came out in 2011, but it kind of flew under the radar for a long time. Uh, it's just recently, in the last year or so, kind of picked up more steam. It, you know, did the festival circuits. Um mm-hmm. And I think it just recently got a wide release. It actually won four awards at Austin Fanatic Fest. It won Best Film, Best Director, 
best screenplay and best actress actress for Sharni Vinson. Mm-hmm. Um, she played uh, kind of the lead. Right. So this movie is basically about uh, this family. It's a couple. They're three sons and one daughter. Mm-hmm. And they're significant others. Right. Wives, girlfriends, boyfriend. Um, they all go up to the parents' lake house for, uh, like a big family dinner. And shit just breaks loose. Yeah. Um, they're, they're having dinner and arrows start flying through the window. And then, you know, you find out there's people in the house. And basically they just want to pick everybody off one by one. Yeah. Um, so this movie, it's, Obviously, it's part home invasion, but it's also part revenge film. Yeah. Because Aaron just takes over. Yeah. That was very surprising. <laughs> Did not see that coming. Yeah. And, uh, so the movie opens, and it's, it's not quite Thanksgiving with boobs in the first second, but you do have a sex scene right off the bat. Yeah. And, uh, so there are boobs in the first minute, I'd say. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and, well, I'm like, I'll, I'll ask you this off air because it might be a spoiler. Okay. Uh, but then I like, did you notice there was never a title card? There, there wasn't even an opening credits. I did not notice that. There was no title card, but instead they had your next spelled out in blood on the sliding glass window. Right. That, <clears throat> that was the title card. I don't know if that was meant to represent the title card because it does happen later in the movie as well. Yeah. But... Having it at the beginning of the movie, just to me, made it seem like that was... When you saw that, did you say, oh, they said it? Well, no, because they didn't say it. They kind of said it. You say that every time you see a title card? No. It's not in the movie, though. <laughs> I just yeah. noticed they had very good punctuation. They what? <laughs> they, made, they made very sure to keep the... Uh, the, uh, the, the, the comma or the apostrophe? Apostrophe, yeah, in your... Like, these are educated killers. Well, grammar's important. Sure. Um... Mm. So, like I said, Aaron kind of takes control when these people get in the house. Mm-hmm. They're all wearing these plastic masks. Yeah. They're, there's three guys, and they, they're, they're wearing these plastic masks. One's a lamb, one's a fox, and one is a lion, I believe. Uh, it's a tiger, actually. And tiger, actually, right. the tiger, the guy wearing the tiger mask was actually Simon Barrett, the writer. Oh. Yeah. That I did not know. Uh, yeah, I discovered that in my research. But yeah, it's, it's, it's strange how, when all the shit starts going down, Erin is just super calm, like almost like she expects it. Right. Like like she knows what's going to happen one step ahead. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of things in like like that in the movie where you're you're just sitting there, kind of chomping at the bit for them to explain it because you know they're going to. Right. But it's like, come on, like get to it. Yeah, it's like, who is this girl? Yeah. Like why? Did... And like you said, they they do finally explain it. Should I say why, or is that should we just? Or that'd be too much of a spoiler, you think? Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't think it's a, a crucial plot point. Okay, well, you find out that she she grew up on this survivalist camp, right? Like a um, the uh, like the doomsday preppers kind of mm-hmm. compound. Apparently, her dad was a nut and moved them all out to the outback. She's Australian, right. by yeah. The way. <clears throat> um, and then like about forty five, fifty minutes into the movie. You find out something. This I won't, 
I won't say because this would be a spoiler. Mm-hmm. But you find out something which is not explained for like the next 30 to 45 minutes. Yeah. And the whole time you're going, what the fuck is this? Why, yeah. why is this happening? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And I think kind of the whole movie was like that. You're just sitting there wondering why you're watching what you're watching. Like why, why any of this is happening. I mean, was, I mean, you know, you've got these these guys in, in the mask. They come in and they start just offing them one by one. And you're sitting there thinking, it's like, is this random? Do they have some kind of grudge against them? Who, who are these guys? You know, shit like that. And the whole movie just got to... I, I, I mean, obviously, it kept us on the edge of our seats a little bit just because we're trying to figure out what's going on. So Yeah, it seemed like whenever one thing got explained, there was either... One thing that hadn't been explained yet, or a new thing that hadn't been explained. Yeah. And uh, that really just kind of kept the movie going, I guess. Because uh, personally, I am not a fan of, like, home invasion movies. They don't really do anything for me. I mean, movies like uh, like, like Funny Games, or uh, Last House on the Left, uh, Panic Room, Strangers. Movies like that, they really didn't do anything for me. Um, and so I was just kind of expecting to be bored by this one too but uh i think the fact that they don't reveal everything up front i mean i guess they didn't so much do that in the strangers but i mean panic room you immediately know like why they're there um see i'm i'm the opposite to me uh home invasion movies are some of the scariest movies because that shit happens yeah and like like, your home is supposed to be your sanctuary. Uh-huh. And the fact that you have these people coming into your sanctuary and just taking over, to me, is a terrifying thought. Yeah, and I can see that. But I do not like revenge movies. Right. And, like, I, had, I warned you, I had two tangents in my holster, and this is one of them. <laughs> to me, when you watch a horror movie, you are supposed to take the mindset of the victims. Because you are supposed to be scared. That's the point of the movie. Mm-hmm. And if the victim becomes the killer, then all of a sudden you're rooting for the killer. And I don't think that's the point of horror movies. Well, that kind of happens in this. Right, it does. Like um, I, I, I did mention this is, you know, part revenge. Right. So, yeah, there are parts. But at the same time, in this one, it's, it's like she's fighting back. So it's like you're still kind of Putting yourself in her shoes, but like most people, most likely would not react the way she did, right? Um, and you know, this, this kind of reminds me a little bit of like, um, like I spit on your grave, right? Where is where you know they, they kind of become the victim at first, but then they kind of come back and start taking charge, taking out re- revenge on the. You know, the people that have wronged them. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, like I said, home invasion movies really don't do it for me, typically. But I think I enjoyed this one a little, mo- little bit more. Just because, like I said, it kind of kept you wondering what's going to happen next, mm-hmm. and, you know, and why all this is happening. This movie was very good at creating tension. Yeah, very good. Um, especially, I guess... The concept of, cause almost the entire movie, um, almost the, 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 the killers, they're actually outside 
in the dark in in the woods. Mm-hmm. And so, even though these people are inside their house, house where they should feel safe, um, it's like because they the killers are not in the house, they should feel safe, but it's like they they don't at all. Um, and I don't know. That's that's something that kind of struck me as a little nerve wracking, just because. Yeah, and I mean, there's there's definitely scenes like I, I thought the score of this movie was really well done. I thought the the score definitely added to the tension in most places. Mm-hmm. Um, like there's a scene where the the guy from Kingpin is going up the stairs, <laughs> and like that, the whole scene because he. he his wife thought he, that she heard people. So this is at the, actually at the beginning of the movie too, uh-huh. and he's going up these stairs and just the the feeling of you know having no doubt that there's someone up there that you're going to have to encounter. Yeah, like that just made my insides feel tense, and just the whole movie is like that feeling of oh my god, what's going to happen here? Mm-hmm. And this is my second tangent where I feel like too many horror fans these days don't appreciate tension. Yeah, they want. Slash, 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 blood and guts everywhere. Yeah, I can agree with that. And so people will watch this movie and they'll be like, it's so boring, nothing happens. <laughs> yeah, it's, that's something, like, for me personally, I really have to kind of get in a mind, a certain mindset to watch a movie. It's like a, like a slow burn. But see, like, <sighs> that's why we have running zombies. Because people don't appreciate yeah. that tension that is created from slow creeping death coming at you. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's that's my that's my kids these days tangent. <laughs> um so people in this movie, they're just a weird group. I mean, there's something going on with them just like old family stuff that just makes them a very weird bunch. There's just a lot of tension between the members of the family. Yeah. You, you never really find out why. Specifically, other than why, other than that, like you kind of just figure, like especially the brothers and the sisters, or the, excuse me, the brothers and the sister, just childhood shit that's been going on, and you kind of get the impression that these they haven't seen each other in a long time. Yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely like sibling rivalry, and there's some like resentment between a couple of the brothers mm-hmm. for whatever reason. Yeah, I mean, particularly uh, was it Drake and uh, and Crispin. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they, they're just constantly bickering and bitching at each other. And the, the eldest brother, Drake, he's a real prick. He is, yeah. Uh, and it seems like he does, does it to get a rise out of people. Yeah, cause like he, he says at one point, he's like, what are you so jealous of me? And yeah. Christian's like, what the fuck do I have to be jealous of you for? And it's like, yeah, like Drake just feels like he's, he's, he's the best brother. Like he's above all the others. Yeah. Like, uh, when they, when they first see each other. Cause, uh, they're actually having a family reunion for their, parents was 35th anniversary yes so they're all kind of you know, it struck me as weird as this immediate family was having a family reunion <laughs> and this just struck me as a little sad and you know these people they're they're wasps essentially yeah just these hoity-toity kind of asshole people the kind of people who have a lake house yeah exactly <laughs> um and just like a lot of this internal tension between each other um like I said, they obviously hadn't seen each other in some time. Um, and so bringing them together and just kind of reigniting all those old tensions, and especially with Drake and Crispin, you know, they first see each other. And, you know, it seemed like they were 
kind of calm at first, but then he like gets up, he starts, you know, Drake starts calling Crispin fat, and they start getting into like a little fight, like a little kid fight. Yeah. You know, like trying to slap each other and you know, <laughs> shit like that. Um, it's very childish and, you know, kind of ring true as far as brothers and sisters go. Um, but yeah, just this kind of tension was throughout the family. I mean, it wasn't just between those two. And like I said before, there's just no, didn't really give an explanation why. I think part of it, I, I think maybe the idea was to try and, uh, like have the family start out splintered and then have them have to come together be- yeah. because of outside. <clears throat> but I guess it might be up, up to the, the viewer to decide if they ever actually do. Yeah. Just because they are so separated, it seems like it's like how much of it is coming together and how much of it is just saving your own <coughs> your own ass. Yeah, exactly. <coughs> I mean, they they don't actually act like family members a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, maybe, maybe that's just from kind of my view or my perspective because I I come from a very tight knit family mm-hmm. and I know that we would do pretty much anything for each other. And just to see a family like that that's so disconnected and so selfish, I guess. It's just, it, it's foreign to me. Um, so, um, but yeah, I mean, like I said, to me, the, the, the best part of the movie was the tension. But for the people who are just all about blood and guts, there are some very good kill scenes <laughs> yeah. in this. Um, <laughs> I don't want to give anything away, but the part where the girl runs out the front door, yeah, I did not see that coming. Like, that part... This is rare for a horror movie to do, but it had me go, oh, fuck, and, like, put my hands over my mouth. Yeah. <laughs> um, like, yeah. You, you knew something was going to happen. Yeah, definitely. The, the way it was set up, it was blatantly obvious that something happened, but what specifically happened, I could not have imagined. No. And, I mean, like like you said, you, you, you know something's going to happen, because um, basically what's happening is she says, okay, I, I can make a break for it. I can make a run for the car. And, you know, go get help. So what she's doing, she gets some running room. She gets a head start, starts running, and basically they're going to pull the doors open right when she gets there so she can just make a break for it. And the people outside don't see it coming. Um, but they do see it coming. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's, it's just not what you expect. Like, like you said, you expect something to happen. And I know I had my expectation, but it was far from it. And it was pretty... Pretty gruesome. Yeah. Um, definitely very gruesome. But there are, like you said, a lot of good kills in this. I mean, you've got uh, somebody who gets a machete in the head. <laughs> um, there's one of the guys, he's toting around a... Um, one of the guys gets beaten to death with a meat tenderizer. Yeah. Where it, I, I think I got in my notes is head soup. <laughs> <laughs> there, there are parts where Aaron actually is, like, more ruthless than the killers. Yeah. Like, she... Turns into a wild animal, basically. Um, but there's that. I mean, you get heads bashed in with a meat tenderizer and a log. Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> and, um, like I said, there's the, the guy towing around a crossbow, so you see a lot of, um, well, not, not a lot, I guess, but you see, um, some, some crossbow bolts take some people out. Mm-hmm. Um, one guy's walking around with an arrow on his back for a good portion yeah. of time. <laughs> um, there's a, Use of a, a garrote wire, which I love that. It's so, 
clean, I guess. <laughs> and it just like, it's not something you see happen very often. And, um, then, uh, my favorite of the film was the use of the blender. Oh god. <laughs> <laughs> that was by far and away the best part of the movie, I think. <laughs> yeah. A little, a little unrealistic. I, I don't think that would actually happen. Probably not. But goddamn it, it was funny. <laughs> Uh, funny and, and just gruesome, and there was no shying away from the from the blood in this movie. Either. Oh no! Um, I mean, yeah, it was pretty prominent in most of the movie. Um, and at one point, she does. Aaron rigs up an axe to the front door mm-hmm. to swing down when the door's open. Mm-hmm. Did that ring uh, Home Alone to you at all? Yes, that and the, the boards on the floor with the nails. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that reminded me of Home Alone as well. Yeah, I, I almost wonder if uh, if uh, Barrett and Wingard kind of <laughs> took a cue from that or something. <laughs> um, but uh, and another thing, the, the overall feel of the movie, the way it was presented, it reminded me a little of uh, Clue, the, the movie. I, I could see that. Not, I mean, but, like, take all the f- humor out of Clue, mm-hmm. and uh, I think you've essentially got your next, um, just because it's a group of people locked in a house, they're getting picked off, and they don't know who the killer is. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously that could speak to a lot of movies, but I don't know, something about it, something about the movie, it, it just reminded me of Clue a little bit. Um, which is a great movie. You haven't seen it. Uh, Tim Curry at his best. <laughs> um, and it seemed to me like all the people in the movie kind of ignored the, what I think is like the cardinal rule of, of a film like this is you have to stay together. Yeah. And throughout the movie, Aaron is actually trying to get people to do that, but they're so, wrapped up in their own bullshit. Yeah, exactly. They're so selfish and so concerned with self-preservation, they are absolutely not concerned with staying together at all. Yep. And they're awesome. Yeah, essentially their downfall. Um, so. And there was a, what I thought was a twist at the end. I, I didn't expect what happened at the end. Uh, at the very end? Yeah. It's one of those things where I feel like maybe I should have seen it coming, but I just, yeah, it just didn't register with me. Yeah, and it, it seemed like some of the, one of those things where it's like, I don't know, maybe you're just so wrapped up in everything else that's going up on in the movie that it, it doesn't register with you. Right. And like, it, it's something I did kind of pick up on, maybe like right before it happened. But it, it's like, I mean, something happens and I just, I'm just like, oh, I know who that is. <laughs> Um, but, anyway, um, I don't know, I think that's kind of all I got. Yeah, that's pretty much... Although, you you, you did mention the soundtrack, mm-hmm. and there was that one song that kept playing. At the end? Like, in the last half hour or so? Yeah, and also at the beginning. The weird, like, 80s yeah. <laughs> music? Yeah, that did kind of seem to go against the rest of the score. Yeah. Well, it's like, at the beginning of the movie, we open up, like like you said, open up immediately on this couple having sex, and 
I, I don't think it's terribly important to the plot, so I'll just say they get killed mm-hmm. by the same people. Um, and right before they get killed, the girl, she goes down, and she puts on this CD, and it starts playing the song. It sounded familiar to me, but... Oh, that song. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I know what you're um, when I, I can't remember what the song is now. Me neither. I mean, it sounded familiar, but when I looked it up, I, I couldn't think of it, so maybe it just sounded like another song. But anyway, um, I found it funny when they went back to, you find out this is actually their neighbor's house. You go back, and this song is still playing, and it keeps repeating. So it's like, is there just that one song on the CD or something? Oh, yeah. Because, yeah, it keeps saying repeat. But, I mean, you can repeat a song, too, on a CD player or something. Well, it said uh, it said disc repeat. It oh, actually it? said that on, on the display on the CD player. Oh, maybe it was a single. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> but I, I thought that was a little confusing. Yeah, and then at the end of the movie, it, like, goes into this weird, like, it's like an 80s-style horror music. Mm-hmm. It's, like, synthy and... Yeah. And, I mean, it wasn't bad. It just seemed different from the rest of the score. Right, and it kind of gave it, like you said, like an 80s horror f- feel to it. Yeah. Um, it kind of took you out of know, modern day a little bit and uh, definitely made it more of a, like, kind of, like a throwback feel to it. Yeah. But, so that was a little weird. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, that, that's all i got now. Uh, all right. So, uh, 1 to 10, what do you think? Well... Um, like I said before, I'm not too into home invasion movies. Um, but this one, just because of the, its ability to keep some tension and keep it guessing through almost the entire movie, um, I think I'll probably rate it a little higher than I would another home invasion movie. And so I think I'll put it at a five. Okay. Um, I really enjoyed it. I, it's, the first movie in a long time I can think of that actually had me on the edge of my seat. Um, but it wasn't without its faults. Um, I'm going to say seven. All right. All right, well, next up we got the movie that I picked, and this is going to be Curse of Chucky from 2013. He's a friend. He doesn't stop. Okay, so this is uh, obviously a continuation of the Child's Play um, series. Um, Some people thought that it was, actually we even thought that it may have been like a reboot. That's what I had heard, and from watching it I can see why people would have thought that. Yeah. Um, But it it definitely is a sequel. Yeah, yeah. And... It is uh, done by writer and director um, Don Mancini, who actually did, I I don't know if it's every Child's Play movie. He wrote or at least co-wrote all of them. Okay. He's only directed this and Seed of Chucky. Okay. So, yeah, like, like you said, this is definitely a, a continuation, a, a sequel to the original series. Um, and 
I don't know. I felt like this one kind of had a leg up on the ones it from did, the past. It feels like with this one, he wanted to go back to what made Child's Play 1, 2, and 3 successful and get away from the, the cheesiness of yeah. Bride and Seed of Chucky. Yeah, and th- that was very apparent. I mean, that, that's something that we actually saw a lot in, in, in uh, other reviews and, you know, you know, blogs and, and things of that nature about this movie was that it definitely did kind of bring you back to the the drama. I think that that's part of why people thought it was a reboot is because it it did basically take the series back from the the cheesiness. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, the plot of the movie is that there is a girl named Nika. Nika, thank you. God. <laughs> um. And she's uh, wheelchair bound, uh, doesn't. And she is played by Brad Dorff's daughter, right, um, Fiona. Yeah, and I'm sitting there thinking, it's like <laughs> Brad Dorff. I, I like him as an actor. Um, he's, I think he's just kind of a resident creepy guy, kind of like um, Jeffrey Combs. Just <laughs> like we need somebody really fucking creepy for this movie. Is Jeffrey Combs busy? Yeah, he's working on something. Oh, well, let's get Brad Dorff. <laughs> um, what is Jeffrey Combs working on? That's good point. I guess maybe <laughs> I should have put that the other way around. <laughs> but I, I, I like Brad Dorff, but God damn it, he's a fucking creep. I mean, he, he acts and looks like a creep. Yeah. Um, so it's like, where the hell did he get a good-looking daughter? <laughs> I mean, obviously, he's only half of the gene pool, but that's a lot to overcome, you know? At one point in the movie, she's like, researching the Chucky doll, uh-huh. and she finds a picture of Charles Lee Ray. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In my head, I just got a picture of her going, Dad? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, basically, yeah. It, it, we're at Nika's house. She lives with her mother, because she, she is wheelchair-bound. And you kind of get the I- idea through the movie that her family thinks she's kind of an invalid, mm-hmm. can't take care of herself. Um, she has some kind of heart condition. Yeah, which was apparently due to the same thing that caused her to be paralyzed. Right. Um, Something that happened in utero. Right. And you actually don't find that out until later in the movie. Yeah. Um, and so she lives with her mother, and one day they receive her mother receives a package. And it's a very familiar good guy doll. Um she opens it up. And this is another reason I think people might have thought it was a reboot, because it, it looks like a brand new good guy doll. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's very clean and polished. Um, doesn't have any any of the scars or, or tattering that Chucky has received over the years. Um, and But she opens it up, and it immediately speaks to her. Says, hi, I'm Chucky. Want to play? Um, so, you know right away that this is not just a typical good guy doll. I mean, this is Chucky. Right. Um, and so, in the middle of the night, her mother dies. She, uh, I feel like you kind of get the impression she falls over the banister mm-hmm. of, of a very high staircase um, and is is killed. Um, and Because you hear her scream, and then you hear a crash, and then Nika comes out, and she's on the ground. Yeah. Um, and so, in, in the wake of that, her sister and her husband and their their kid and the nanny, oh, pair, <laughs> um, 
they come, you know, kind of to uh, get things, get affairs in order, come to the funeral, things of that nature. Um, and slowly, I mean, obviously, there's no real spoiler here, but Chucky begins to kill people. <laughs> right. And, and, in this very small, con- uh, contained area, which makes it kind of like a little similar to your next a little bit in that everybody's contained within this house and yeah. there's, there's a killer. <laughs> they could have left, though. They just never... Sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, who obviously a continuing theme throughout the movies is like, who's going to expect it all? Right. Um, and I, I mean, I, I guess that's essentially it. I mean, you, you find, find out exactly why Chucky chose these people. Um... And that's another thing, again, similar to your next, that's something you don't find out until near the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's got that in connection to it in that it's, it's kind of a slow burn, um, and kind of keeps you wondering and keeps you attached to it because you just like, you feel like you gotta find out why he picked these people. I mean, it's, just, it's totally random because he actually, you assume he was actually, he delivered himself through a courier to this house. So, mm-hmm. um, I mean, that's, that's the basic premise of it. Which know. later you find out is not true, but that he delivered himself. You oh, yes. Somebody yes. else delivered him. Right. I won't say who. <laughs> um, yeah, so, I mean, that's basically the premise of the movie uh, without revealing any plot points. Um, it's still relatively new, so I don't risk spoiling anything because, uh, you know, I'm sure a lot of people have not seen it yet. So, like we said before, this has had a much darker tone than Cedar Bride. Yeah. Um, which, I, I, you know, I gotta be honest, I was never a huge fan of the Child Play movies. Nor was I. Um, and I especially was not a fan of the last two. No. God, those were awful. Um, I mean, <laughs> it, it, it's funny that Don Mancini, he directed those two. And, and obviously wrote them as well. But, yeah, he's took this movie in kind of a throwback direction where he wanted to recap. Yeah, like, if I had to guess, I would have guessed that somebody else had taken over the franchise. Yeah, it definitely seemed that way. But, I mean, everything's the same. I mean, they even got, they even stayed with Universal. Yeah. Um, I mean, this wasn't like an art house film or anything like that. It didn't get thrown to, like, Lionsgate or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, it also... I noticed that the movie like kept a lot of the same elements to it. I mean, like even down to like the the effects and the movie tricks they used. Like, I mean, <clears throat> you know, in the in the original Child's Play series, they used um, a lot of uh, like animatronics, mm-hmm. and for the for like the the action scenes, like where you'd see like Chucky, you know, from overhead. Or you'd see him like run past the doorway or something. It looked like they put like a like a small child or uh, like a, a dwarf or a midget or something yeah. in a costume to have them run across a doorway in the background or something. Yeah, um, they used a lot of that, but they also combined it with a lot of CGI. Yeah, which was kind of new. I mean, I don't even remember seeing that so much in Bride or Seed. Yeah, not if there was, it wasn't a lot. Right. I mean, there's there's one point where Chucky's actually walking down the stairs, and it's very clearly CGI. Mm-hmm. And I mean, his his face motion is very fluid. It doesn't look like an animatronic 
face, you know. Um, and so I, I really appreciate that they stayed kind of true to the tricks of the trade that made the first movie successful. Yeah. Um, and uh, there's a lot of uh, obvious, I mean, obviously there's going to be some references to Andy Barkley, uh, who was obviously the, the, the kind of the main character in, in the per- first three movies. Andy Barkley is actually in it. Is he? Did you watch all the way through the credits? No. Andy Barkley's in the stinger at the end of the movie. Oh, son of a bitch. Same actor, even. You know what? I'm going to pause this right now, and we're going to go watch that. Okay, well, that was interesting. Uh, yeah, I can definitely see what you mean. They kind of undermined the ending there. Yeah, I don't know if that was like an original ending that they just decided to tack on as a lark or what. But I don't know, but it definitely spoke against the original ending. And like, like you said, maybe it was an alternate ending. They decided they wanted to throw in there, but I don't know. But hey, now we know who Alice is. Yeah, <laughs> I know and was... we know we know what the big. Uh... The big question is surrounding part seven. Right. Um, so I guess that's something to look forward to, you know. Um, so, like we said before, it's like you get like three quarters of the way through the movie and you still don't know why Chucky picked this family, you know. Mm-hmm. And even when they did explain it, it seemed a little like a stretch to me. Yeah, somewhat. The right. flashback was weird, too, because it was like black and white and yellow. Uh, he, well, yeah, it's, it's kind of like a, like an artistic thing, I guess. I guess. It reminded me of Sin City. A little bit, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there, there, there were, like, color accents in different shots. Right. Um. It was mostly just yellow in the beginning, though, because it was like all the sunflowers were all yellow. Right, right. Um, but it does explain a little bit the, the, the kind of the precursor of Child's Play 1, where... You know, you open up on Charles Lee Ray, and he's he's running from the cops, and he runs into the toy store. Kind of gives you a little bit of backstory leading up to that. Moment. Right. Um, and that's all I'll say. <laughs> um, there's a lot of kind of handball acting in this, I thought. Yeah. <laughs> um, like like the chili scene when when they're all sitting down to eat the chili. Yeah. And it's like like they keep trying to fake you out because. Uh, Chucky does something to one of the bowls of chili. Right. And it's like someone would start to take a bite and they'd be like, oh wait! We gotta say grace. Yeah. And then like somebody else would take a bite and they'd be like, oh my god! This is so good! Right. And then another person would take a bite and be like, this tastes funny. Right. I think it has too much oregano. It's like, Jesus Christ, just get <laughs> to it. Yeah, and I mean, like, uh, Nika's sister. Barbara. Barbara. Her husband, he, I think he was probably the worst of all. Yeah. He was such an overactor. Um, I mean, he, he was actually the one in the chili scene where he like took a bite and he said, Oh my God, this is so good. <laughs> um, 
So, and, um, I don't know. There's, there, there was some parts, like, it, you know, in 80s horror was like, that's how it was. It was cornball. Yeah. And there were a lot of parts of this that threw back to that. I don't know if that's just, you know, Mancini trying to get back to the feel of the original or what, but. Yeah, and I guess I can, if that's the case, I can kind of understand that a little bit. Um. And then, like, at the very end of the movie, there's this stupid bullshit jump scare right before the credits roll. Right. Uh, kind of killed the whole thing, I guess. It really did. Like, it's it was just such a stupid way to finish it off. Yeah. And you saw it coming a mile away, too. Yeah. Um, wasn't sh- I guess I wasn't really sure exactly how it was going right. to happen. Um, but, yeah, I definitely saw something just unnecessary and... Just a, a cheap scare, you know. This movie broke the fourth wall too. At one point, with they they did the blood on the camera thing. Oh yeah, I know how much you hate that. <laughs> I do. I hate anytime they break the fourth wall. It just doesn't like unless that's part of the movie. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't make any sense why you would do that. Right. Um, unless you're Deadpool. <laughs> uh, there's I don't know. It seems like a lot of not no not necessarily a lot of it, but it had a little too much. St- story to it, I guess. Like, you, you, you get the sense that the, the au pair, or the, the, the nanny, <clears throat> might be banging the dad. Mm-hmm. But then you find out she's actually banging the mom. Right. <laughs> and, you know, it's so pointless. I mean, the au pair, she's just this tall, really leggy blonde. But, um, it's like, you don't get any boobs out of the deal. Yeah, at one point she's like, Sitting around in her underwear doing a video chat with the mom who's in the, the other mom. room. And, but that's, that's all you get. Yeah. And you get a little tush tush. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, and so it's just, it's like, why is this happening? I mean, is it, how is this furthering the story at all? I mean, you do find out that the, the dad is kind of like, well, the, the, the parents are kind of on the outs a little bit and, um, and the dad had suspected her of cheating, so he put a nanny cam in Chucky's overalls. Right. Um, that was kind of what made him finally believe that Chucky was the one doing everything, because he saw it with his own eyes. Yeah, he was watching like a live feed of it, and <laughs> Chucky sneaking up behind him. So um, there, there's a lot of disbelief. I mean, Nika, she's she kind of puts everything together. She figures out really who Chucky is. Doesn't find out. Still doesn't know like real connection that he has to her. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll, you know what, no, never mind, I'm not going to say that. Um, finds out, like, that he is Charles Lee Ray. I mean, that's really all she knows, is that he's kind of the, the, the embody, like, the doll embodiment of this murderer that was killed 20-some-odd years ago. Um, and so she tries to tell everybody and warn them, and nobody believes her, but even when people start dying... They start suspecting her of doing it. Right. Like yeah. She's in a fucking wheelchair. <laughs> she has to use an elevator to get from the bottom to top floor of her home. <laughs> it's like, for Christ's sake. I mean, sure, a murderous doll is a little far-fetched, <laughs> but how much more far-fetched is it that this woman in a wheelchair is killing a house full of people? Seriously, like, you tip her over, you won. Yeah. <laughs> It's like she has to crawl to attack you, and I think you might be able to walk faster. Unless they're all suffering from, like, slashed Achilles and stabs in the foot. I think, sure, you can pretty much rule her out. (laughs) Um, 
So, it's, and I feel like maybe I'm sending the wrong kind of message here because I didn't hate the movie. Mm-hmm. There was just a lot of stuff that maybe could have been planned out a little better. Yeah. Um. So I don't know. And you know, you got just another cardinal error, kind of like your next. Another, another just big mistake. Um. In 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 cinema. Horror cinema, particularly. Somebody says, what's the worst that could happen? <laughs> I, I believe it was when, um, Nika tries to give the, uh, give Chucky to her niece, mm-hmm. uh, who is Alice. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think her parents are kind of bickering over it. And I believe one of them says, or she says, you know, she already has enough dolls. And it says, it's, it's just a doll. What's the worst that could happen? <laughs> it's actually the tagline for child play. Right. Um, so, I don't know. I mean, I, I, like I said, I don't want to send the wrong message and, and give the indication that maybe I didn't enjoy this, because I did. Uh, I mean, especially when you compare it to Bride of Chucky and Seed of Chucky. Those, I, I try to wipe those from my memory. The movie moved very quickly. Like, I... Went to go check and see how much time I had left in it, and it, I was already like an hour and twenty minutes into it. I was surprised that it had gone that quickly. Yeah, yeah, there wasn't a lot of um, wasn't a lot of lag time as far as like the story itself, kind of revealing things. It mm-hmm. was a little slow, but as far as the pace of the movie, it it, it did move very well. <laughs> yeah, like we were saying before we started recording, how like neither one of us took that much notes because it just like not really a lot happened. Right. But the movie still moved very quickly, and it wasn't boring. There wasn't long spots of, oh my god, something needs to happen now. Right. And it's, I mean, for all intents and purposes, it's a child's play movie. Right. There's no, there's nothing that you don't expect. Yeah. Um, I mean, Chucky kills people. People don't believe that the doll could kill anyone. It's just the typical... You know, kind of typical kind of storyline that you'd expect from a child's play movie. Part of me wonders, like, if this was a new movie, how would it be received in 2013? That's a good question. Um, like, I'm wondering if this would have been as successful as it was if it didn't have the child's play series to back it up. No, that's that's hard to say, and because, like I said, in in the 80s, cornball horror movies were. That was just that was a thing. That was the way it was. Yeah. In this day and age, I think people probably would have been like a homicidal doll, really. Yeah, I, I think I might have to agree with you there. I mean, you, th- you think about the '80s, you know, maybe late '70s, early '80s. You know, the, the popular characters of this genre, you know, the, kind of the slasher genre, um, where you've got these iconic villains. They all had kind of a, a thing. They had, like, a hook to them, I guess. I mean, you've got uh, a kid who thought was thought to have drowned when he was a child, but you find out he's actually been stalking the camp, or stalking the, a campground for however many years, and he's been killing campers. You've got um, a mentally ill person who's escaped from... Uh, an asylum and wants to I guess you don't really ever know if he's just trying to reconnect with his sister or murder her 
but does murder people along the way. Uh, you've got a backwoods Texas family that's probably inbred with this psychotic guy who wears skin on his face and carries a chainsaw. I mean, you've got a, a, a demon from hell with you know pins in his head that wants to basically torture you. <laughs> I mean, that, that's his only purpose. I mean, you've got these villains that have got some kind of hook to them. And so I guess I wouldn't say that uh, a murdering doll was next, like, necessarily the next logical step, but it was definitely something appealing in that era. But nowadays, after you've seen so much shit, um, and it's like we said in the, in the interview with uh, Eric England, Nowadays, horror viewers are just so jaded um, because they've seen so much. I mean, movies like like Saw, for instance. Mm-hmm. I mean, Hostel, Hostel. You know, the the, the torture porn um, movies. Uh, people have just seen so much, and so to try and sell them on a new idea of hey, there's this doll that kills people. It's basically like a like a theatrical version of my buddy doll. <laughs> And he kills people. It's like, I feel like that might be a hard sell nowadays. But yeah, I, I would have to agree. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, luckily it did have that that legacy behind it. Yeah. And so, obviously, you know, you're going to get people our age or even older that appreciate it because they grew up with those movies. Exactly. Um, as far as drawing in a new audience, you know, people younger than us that may have missed the boat on those movies... Those are probably not the people you're trying to sell to. Right. But, as I said... This was very well received, though, by both critics and fans alike. Yeah, it was. I mean, it has, uh, I think it's like a 75% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Wow. Um, If if, if I'm not mistaken. Um, And so to achieve that kind of rating on on that site, which just filled people that like to bitch about things, it's pretty impressive. (laughs) Um. And so, for it to have that success after a couple bombs like Seed and Bride, that's that's pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, and as I said a couple times before, I did enjoy it to a certain extent, um, despite the fact that I was never a big Child's Play fan. Um, yeah, I'm right there with you. Yeah. So I mean, so for a rating, what would you give it? Well, um, all things considered, I mean, again, because I was never a big Child's Play fan, but I, I did enjoy this movie for what it was, um, I'm probably going to give it a six. Okay. Um, yeah, I thought, like I said, it, it moved quickly. It had a good pace. Um, I wasn't a fan of the Child's Play movies, like you said, um. You know, it is a little cornball, obviously. Uh, I'm going to say five. All right. Hi, I'm Chucky. Want to play? Well, that's another one done. Um, I, I'd say 2014 is off to a good start. Yeah. I mean, we're guys, we're going to really take it to the next level here. We're going to try and get some more interviews. Um, we're going to try and get to some uh, some conventions this year. And maybe get a few interviews there, um, and you know, get some good stories to tell you. Um, so, 
we 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 got some some things planned too that we're not going to tell you about right now, but I think I think you're going to be excited about them for sure. So stick with us, guys. It's going to be a good year. Tell all your friends. Make yep. sure you go to www.graveplotpodcast.com and you can find all the other places to follow us online. And uh, we'll talk to you next time. Yep. Take care, guys. We'll see you in a couple weeks. Bye. Yeah.